Hi, Kyle. Hello. <laughs> I think that this is really appropriate that we're doing this episode and you just got back from therapy, right? Is that what well, you were saying? Well, my That's therapy we actually did get postponed to, to the afternoon. Oh. I know. Oh, man. I was I really excited that this timing. is how it was. It, it's normally 10 a.m. on Thursdays, so it would have been perfect, but it got moved to 2 in the afternoon this week. Shit. And you would be the first person that that would happen to, and it would be just such a appropriate episode but i guess we can just pretend yeah we'll just you know what i'll we'll you'll be my therapist this week and i'll go into therapy and talk about how this went i'll do the pre therapy for you great i'll do the pre therapy kyle great. i was so excited i just want to say on a side note i came on your podcast mm-hmm. uh never seen it yeah I, Right. I said that. Right. I was like, yeah, I hope that's what it was. Um, And do you know that I wrote the movie for Total Recall, my version of it? And that was the first thing I've the first script I've ever properly written. So that was really exciting for me. It's great. I mean, I think there's something just to getting any. That's like what writing is, is just getting anything down is the hardest part. You know what I mean? Totally. If you sit and try and be perfect the whole time, you'll never. That's kind of with everything. You'll never do anything. Well, that's very true. But that was always my dream was to do. I've always wanted to direct a music video and write um, a cartoon. So I turned Total Recall into a cartoon. Mm-hmm. Um, very sexualized. It was a very <laughs> sexual episode. One of those I cartoons think... where when you're a kid, you don't get it. Then you watch it when you're an adult and you're like, why did anyone let me? But you know what? I think mine was very on the nose. I don't think it was like one of the Little Mermaid ones where it's like, oh, my God, is that a penis in the VHS like cover? <laughs> like It was not like that. It was like, yeah, yours would be like exterior, boots. a penis on the VHS cover. <laughs> like, I just thought, you know what? Why leave it to the imagination? Like, let's yeah. get right to the point. How did you imagery. even start that podcast? Because you are a comedian. Yeah. And never- your show is very funny. I guess it's a podcast where people rewrite movies they've never seen, and yeah. I got tired of pretending I'd seen The Wire at parties in Brooklyn. That's really <laughs> what started the whole thing, was I was just, you go to, you know what I mean, there was just, it might still, well, there's no parties anymore, but um, you just go out, and people are like, what are you watching? What are you watching? Have you seen this? Yeah. Have you, you haven't seen The Sopranos? Are you alive? You haven't seen The yeah. Wire? And they just punch you in the face. And you're You just were like, missing a real water cooler moment. I was. I was. And, and so I just started not talking and then I started picking up enough details about it to where I would just say stuff like, oh, yeah, I love Omar. You know, what? I have no <laughs> idea what that means. But I was like, oh, can you believe they changed the credit sequence? I don't know what that means. And eventually people just leave you alone. So I just wrote what I thought The Wire was one day and did like a live table read of this guy's never yeah. seen The Wire, but he rewrote it. And that's kind of oh what it gosh. prompted. It. And people loved it. And so you continued to do it. And you have amazing guests that come on who are actually real legit writers. And so when I was looking, when I was asked to do it, I was looking, I'm like, so this is going to be really interesting. I don't know where my mind is going to go during this episode, um, but it was awesome. And I thank you so much for allowing me to uh, lose my virginity in oh, writing. Of course. Yeah. Of course. I mean, yeah, I'm it's, sure it's, it's everything fun. that you would have wanted and more. <laughs> I had a great time. I loved it. I love getting the the variants of, you know, sometimes when it's someone's like a professional television writer, the script goes this way where it's very like right. exposition heavy and this. And then sometimes when people are actors, the script goes this way where you can tell they're like giving more fun lines. And I, yeah. I, I like getting the, the, the variants to it all and seeing what different people write and well, we all collectively what I, haven't seen this stuff. 
when I shared it with my husband, he was like, hmm, so I'm not sure if this is the direction of the podcast. I think you should send it to his producer. No, there's no wrong way to have not seen a movie. Well, right, totally. But I think that cartoons making them extra sexual was maybe not the direction (laughs) that he thought it was going to go in. And he's like, are you sure you're qualified for this show? I'm like, I'm definitely not qualified, but I'm going to do it. Plus, I am, everyone knows this, I am so obsessed with stand-up comedians and everything stand-up. So the fact that that is what you do is just kind of the coolest thing in the entire world to me. I could sit at the comedy store all day long. I feel like I must have had a past life there because it's where I feel the most comfortable is. <laughs> I think we should let everyone know who's listening. Stand-up comedy is a job that used to exist where... It uh... doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> well, no, that's not true. You know, one it's of my dearest friends... coming back. One of my dearest friends, Sarah Halstead, who's like the funniest comedian. She's incredible. And she just did um, an outdoor show. And I forgot where it was. Maybe it was Orange County, which is probably... Why she was scared. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, that's because to get brought up on stage in Orange County, they have to cough in your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> but I think the set went well, so that's yeah. what's the most important thing. But I think that slowly but surely it's going to be coming back. One of my friends um, is uh, one of the guys behind the comedy store, and they were going to do a whole outside set, and then the city shut them down. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, But restaurants and bars are open, but we can't enjoy comedy i mean honestly like i don't know about you but covid has really affected me not just being bipolar but like on such a dark fucked up moment of isolation because i'm someone that needs human connection constantly Mm -hmm. and i need laughter constantly and so whenever i feel depressed or sad i go to disneyland and i go to the comedy store which is like what a great combination yeah i think of it um but I wish the I, comedy I store can't... had Mickey Mouse ear type of things that you could wear when you show back up. <laughs> Just a little microphone hat. And the only thing that got me through COVID is I'm wearing a basketball shirt with Mickey Mouse, so kind of makes sense. But it was the bubble of the NBA. It was like the only thing that got me through. Jimmy Butler is like my favorite person of all time. It was the only thing that got me through. Um, yeah. So I can't even imagine being a stand-up and not even just a comedian, like specifically stand-up comedian, because you must get such a fucking rush being on stage. Otherwise, you wouldn't do it, right? I, I've had a difficult time adjust. I, I'm not one of the comedians who can do sort of like the Instagrammy type of stuff, or like a funny person who makes like little Twitter videos where they're like a wacky uncle or something like that. A little that's shtick, really, if you will. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I can't. I, no, that I stuff get it. Like Spade me, does so that. I'm yeah. losing it right now because really, mm. what I'm. What I love most is live in the moment. I want to do shows and stuff that you can only see if you came to that thing that specific night. Right. And so that it's tough now. They are showing up a little bit outside here and there. And I don't know if I want to be one of the early adopters of seeing how it goes. But I I, I do want to eventually get into it. But I just I can't get the same fix from from doing something like uh, a little vid- front facing camera type of thing. It just doesn't do it for me. And um, I'm not a big voice guy and so it's been it's been I, I feel myself like when normally the swings would be from fine to really dark to fine to really dark now it's like the the ceiling has just lowered to where it's like i either i feel neutral in a day or i feel horrific and i need to find some sort of outlet for it and it's been tough 
what is the outlet that you found has helped you? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. So Sometimes, the advice to, yeah. to you out listening right now is Kyle has no idea what we should be doing. If anyone has a solution in any capacity for any joy, I would love it. Um, <laughs> I, I don't I don't know. I've gone and sat across from my friends in the park who are comedians and it felt a little normal for a minute. But it's just not the same as sitting in the green room. What I miss the most is sitting in the back of a comedy club watching right. someone else kill or even more so watching someone else eat it because it's there's nothing more fun than watching my friend bomb and i hope they get the same joy out of me when i'm struggling right and i want to sit and i want to riff and i miss it all and i i i i I just can't do the i'm not funny like i'm not writing witty tweets all the time i'm not like taking I, i i'm bad at instagram and it freaks me out and um i can't twerk so i'm not on tiktok and so what's gonna happen like what if in this world like i think the worst all the time because that's just who i am because i I live in constant fear um but i know for me right i'm an actress i'm used to being on sitcoms and doing work and like that's never gonna happen again the way that it was before certainly i mean no one's gonna be in front of a live audience at a sitcom like feeding them pizza to get them through the last joke um but (laughs) let's be honest they're not really funny um but i can't imagine what it's going to be like because it's never going to be normal again and and i have this like weird fear every single day I wake up with anxiety where I'm like, okay, do, am I still an actress? Like, do I still have a job? Like, is this really happening? Like this podcast is amazing. And I've always wanted to do this. And I've always wanted to create this like platform for mental health, but this isn't where I saw my life at 33 years old. Certainly. Like I thought I would be, even if I was, I, I would do anything to be in pilot season right now. And like for people out there listening, like pilot season is like the worst thing about being an actor is like auditioning five auditions a day. You test, you never get the role. Like you always feel like this is going to be the breaking thing. Never happens. Like I would give anything just to be rejected by a director. Like that's all <laughs> I want right now. <laughs> I would love to show up unprepared to play IT guy. Like, uh, um, but I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I'm having a tough time and kind of being rooted in a nice way by my girlfriend who who's saying maybe we need to start thinking about if we're not going back to what it was, what do we do mm-hmm. now that this is it? And I'm I have I have lived in I am still kind of probably too much in denial. Do you know what I mean? Um I think everyone is, honestly. And I think the hardest thing being a comedian and I think that I can relate a little bit being an actor is our favorite things to do are make people happy. And Mm -hmm. for me, I love comedy because I like people to laugh because honestly, it's the only thing that gets me through my life. Like I said, when I'm in my deepest, darkest moments, the only thing I want to do is go and listen to stand up because it gets myself out of my head. It gets myself out of that fucked up state of mind where I can just laugh like that or a horror movie, you know, it's like one of the two will get me out of my head. And I think that comedy is the, the cure to everything. Honestly, I went to this, um, 
it wasn't a convention. I don't know what it was. It was like some meetup and it's all these mental health people who have platforms and voices and like, oh, whatever. Um, but it was amazing. I don't mean it like that. But but they had everyone, <laughs> I mean it in the best way possible. But um, it's where I came up with this idea. So they had everyone write on a post-it. Um, it was, oh my God, why am I blanking on his name? Gary Goldman? Gary? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, Gary Goldman, Gary Goldman was- He's a very emotionally attached comedian. So and funny. One of the so it was people in the world. One of the funniest people, one of the most honest, um, vulnerable sh- uh, specials I've ever seen mm-hmm. um, in stand up. I recommend everyone to go see it. Um, the and Great he talks depression. about his depression. The Great Depression. He talks about his depression. He talks about how he had a panic attack on stage and his life had to completely change. Anyways, that being said, he was there at this conference um and it was like 60 people and it was right before his stand-up special came out and he was just incredible and so inspiring and hbo had said to everyone everyone write on a post-it what you think can be like the change to mental health like what is the keyword like what is what can you bring to it and look, everyone's very sweet and everyone has their own thing and they're like love each other like start a hashtag like start whatever that's not me. <laughs> yeah. For me, what I did was I said, I want one thing. And the only word I put down was comedy. And it went around the room and everyone passed around the thing. And everyone's like, oh, what's the most inspiring thing? And everyone looked at that post-it. Yes, I'm the best person in the world. And that's my narcissism. <laughs> but <laughs> Yes, I, I won. I won. I won the competition. <laughs> like, no fucking big deal. But beyond that... It's so true. Like people are are saying, oh, you know, you know, self-love, self-care, like, great. That's all fucking great. But the only thing that literally will make someone happy is laughter. Like it's a scientific fact. Actually, I don't know if it's a scientific fact, but I think it's a scientific fact. And it's true. It's comedy. So when I see someone like you, I, you make me smile whether you're telling a joke or not, because I know that in your heart of hearts, you want to bring such pure joy to other people. And so my heart breaks for you that I'm, I don't laugh. I'm like saying this, like, you know, in a loving way, like my heart breaks for you because I can only imagine being an actress, wanting to make people laugh on a sitcom to have you have that in front of a stage all the time. I cannot even imagine what's going through your mind right now. Like the roller coaster and, and the emotions going on, it must be just overwhelming and that's it's what kind you of, were explaining you know you try and replace it with something that i that is ha- like the zoom comedy or something like that where you do these shows and it i feel worse and i love doing yeah. them and i love the people who, who who watch them and it's nobody's fault but just sort of like it it makes me feel out of breath the entire time mm-hmm. it makes me feel weird it makes me feel less joy than not to I don't know. I haven't found anything to be an appropriate replacement. And I've tried a lot of different things. I was like streaming comedy shows and streaming a show every day and just sort of like none of it. it, Wow. None of of it felt good. I was doing like a two hour show four days a week. um, And and then I just was like, but this all isn't none of it's doing what I want. And none of it was it started to not feel like the right thing for anybody. And then I don't know. It, It has been. I, I don't have the answers. It's the weirdest and least confident and least direction I've ever felt. And I feel sort of like I'm just in a a, a dinghy at sea mm-hmm. and hoping to even not even find land, but like an oar 
would be nice. Right. Just or a like, paddle a little bit. <laughs> a paddle or a sail or a, to see do a bird fly by. That, do you think that, well, I mean, obviously it's so, I don't know if you've seen it yet because it just came out last night and I'm an insomniac so I don't sleep. So I watched it, but I watched um, my next guest with David Letterman and Dave Chappelle was on it. And it was so interesting because they filmed this during COVID. So they mm-hmm. filmed it at his camp that he's been the, doing the 26 shows compound. at. Yeah. That's right. And it was just seeing these people laugh, even though you couldn't see their smiles because they all had masks on. You could see what joy was brought to them just by knowing that he was in their presence, hearing a few jokes here and there. And it was interesting. Like he and Dave and Dave and David were talking, um, like in his little hometown in Ohio. And they were saying that David Letterman specifically said that he had friends that he had grown up with that were amazing that he still talks to, but the people that he feels the most himself around are other stand-up comedians. And Dave said the same thing. And he's like, there is nothing. It's like you said, there's nothing like being in a green room with other stand-up to have them relate because I feel like maybe this is a general assumption, but, but I do feel that comedians have the reputation and a lot of them are of having the most depressive, darkest ups and downs of anyone. And they give all that they can in the standup world. And I think having that connection is, is so special that you have that. And so hearing that, you know, even sitting across from someone at the park, you know, who's a standup comedian, like there must be some sort of camaraderie there to make you know that you guys are all going through it together because it is the same business. Right. Or... Yeah, it is. There's been something. It, I I think that I put an overwhelming burden on my girlfriend to understand uh, how I uh, like what is going on. The wavelength that I have with other comedians and things like that, where I can just like dip in and out of the most insanely dark this, and then back to actually having a serious conversation. The way that yeah. that they follow it is just different than anybody else, even the people that I know the best. And it, it's, it's certainly been unfair to my girlfriend for having to be the only person in my <laughs> life who has to be like this giant outlet for this entire thing. Um, but even, yeah, I, I just miss it. It is just a different relating situation. It, it, it's just a different wavelength. It's a different, you kind of understand dipping in and out of where conversations are going better, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the park is the park but it's not like we yeah. can go um and you're not eating pretzels like behind right. the stage and like getting out there and like right. ready you're for some drunk guy to like yell at you and you're not having a collective experience with people who understand the experience the same way you do um yeah and even that you know i don't know there's just nothing when you ask people like what makes an ideal comedy show it's always like cramped low ceiling dark packed and now i'm like those yeah. are literally almost cuss words now uh yeah, yeah. it's it's yeah. so I, I i don't know and i have been in such a having my album came out come out was very weird to be sharing clips when there was an audience felt weird i was very i'm very proud of it which is a r- extreme rarity in my life for anything and you shot this obviously pre-covid december 7th of 2019 wow and then you isn't it to weird just to it. see yeah how close people were in proximity as well, like in an audience. Like that's what I noticed watching this. 
oh my God, seeing these specials and seeing people hug and like ch- share the same things. And I'm like, oh my God, why are you doing that? That is so disgusting. Even and watching we just, like a TV we never show thought about people it. hang out, I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. It's like, I could be watching Cheers and I'm like, oh, you're just going to drink from that glass? Right? <laughs> oh my gosh. No, wait, strong. I have to ask you. Did you always know you were going to be a stand-up comedian? Did you always love making people laugh? I don't know. I think it was, I just didn't want to get bullied more. Is It, it starts as like a, def- I wasn't really the clown in mm-hmm. school or anything. Um, I was more like the quiet in the back talking about what the clown could do to be funnier. Um, mm. I, I don't know. It was a lot of like deflection and it still probably is. Um I'm sure my therapist will say it is. Um, it, 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 but it definitely came from a point of just like not wanting to get beat up or bullied. You know, I wasn't the biggest. I wasn't the strongest. I was poor. I didn't have cool stuff. So you kind of just need something to get by. And uh, so I kind of realized I was sort of funny. And then I would realize like I could make a teacher laugh, even mm-hmm. if I was doing something like interruptive. And right. that's when I started to be like, oh, this is a little bit different than just like the kid who's farting or something like that. Yeah. Which, yeah. Around. Farts are funny and always will be. They're the funniest. Um, they're the funny. It's crazy that we do that. And But um, there's nothing like a hit when someone laughs. It's like a drug. Yeah. I There's a time in high school when I'm we had to make us uh, write, just make any video with a group and they like rented us out little cameras. And I wrote a thing that Martha Stewart had just gone to jail. So that, you know, this is a while ago. I wrote a thing that was like Martha Stewart showing you how to uh, decor a jail cell. <laughs> and so she's like, and, and, you know, you can really open up the space by putting curtains. And my teacher took me aside. And I remember it was Mrs. Veter, English. And she took me aside and she goes, do you know who Conan O'Brien is? And I was like, no. And she was like, I really, really think this could be something you look into. And that was the first time I was like, wow. oh, there's jobs. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Because you didn't, an and you were from Missouri. Then, yeah, yeah. So you, you were Midwest, like totally in a bubble. Didn't know what this world. I was. I didn't know entertainment jobs existed. Like you're just right. like sure. There's actors. Sure, there's movies, but right. Who does? You know what I mean? And so that was the first time that I was like, oh, I, and it sort of opened up, and I started to look into. I'd never seen stand up before, maybe in passing, mm-hmm. um, and stumbled into like Comedy Central specials and David Tell's show. Who was Somnia your, and- yeah, who was your idol like when you finally discovered it? Who did you relate to the most? You know, uh, Nick Swartzen was the first stand up I saw, and I was like, this guy kind of sounds him how I could sound. So much. Yeah, I, I, I can't, I never understand the comedians our age who are like, oh, George Carlin was my influence. I'm like, well, are you really? Are you, in, are no. you? No, he wasn't. Like, he's great. No. And don't get me wrong, he's incredible. The same with, like, when people say things, uh, uh, any of these huge Richard Pryor, I'm like, yeah, he is wonderful, but you're, I cannot imagine him influencing me, um, besides yeah. from the fact that I'm like, oh, I can be honest. But, like, Nick Swartz and I saw him, like, oh, you can kind of be silly and talk about video, mm-hmm. and talk about, like, things I understand. And uh, Dimitri Martin, I was like, you can be silly and, like, a, be yeah. weird and observational in these things I understand. And Maria Bamford, I was like, you can be silly and observational Love. and talk about, like, specificity. It's just when you – when you, these are comedians I thought I discovered, and I think that was right. special to me. Even though they were, like, famous comedians, mm-hmm. it wasn't George Carlin or Jerry Seinfeld. I was like, I, but I thought I was the one But you did discover them. them. You I did, did discover them own. for I, yourself. Yeah. yeah. And so that I, – I felt like I had a more intimate relationship with their their style and stuff because i was like oh this is the th- it's like if you you see a band in front of 30 people and then they become mm-hmm. this huge band you're like but i just had this thing with them right 
Right. That's how I felt about it. So I love And then how did this whole Conan thing come in? Because I'm obsessed with Conan O'Brien on my own. Love Mm -hmm. Conan. But I also am obsessed with Howard Stern. I think that we are like best friends. And Howard named him his favorite guest of of all time. Um, And he was in the book. And how did that all happen that you started going on that show? Uh, well, it, it, he was always my favorite late night person um, because, once again, he just kind of seemed to do what he thought was funny. Mm-hmm. I, it never looked like he was trying to make the audience laugh. He would do anything. It wasn't to like make a but up, but yeah. But the, the, just the fact that like Leno was the one. I don't want to talk ill of anyone, but like it, it, Conan was never out there. Like you see this; these kids are crazy. Here's do you know what? The thing yeah, is. you know what Conan does, which I think is so incredible. He can make a joke, he can be funny, but he's also so self-aware that he's like winking at the audience yeah. where like he knows that he he just has that 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 talent to be able to do that. Um which not a lot of comedians or actors can can do, yeah. you know. Yeah, and- he's just always the funniest person that there is there no matter where you're at. And he kind of he said that one time that he worships at the altar of silly. And I thought that was a really nice <laughs> thing to say because that's what I've always been able to escape the most into, whether it's like never seen it, which is a ridiculous concept, and then go like live in the world of the concept. Or like when I, f- I held out on wanting to do stand up on really any late night show because I wanted so badly to do stand up on Conan. And wow. Um, I got they. It's a long process, an arduous process where they see your set and they're like, yes, no. And you go through this. They have a wonderful booker and you develop the set together that you're going to do. And my set got approved for Conan. This is the set in Mm. 2018, like June of 2018. And I didn't get on the show until January of 2020. And so it was like 18 months of just sitting (gasps) around and waiting for a phone call. And I kind of didn't pursue any other late night show during that time because it Conan supersede all other late night shows, I guess, for me. I totally understand that. Oh my gosh. So was that just did you like want to throw up before it happens? Because that's what they I was told happening. me on a Friday. I was doing it on a Monday. Oh, <gasps> so you they had called to me sit on like a Friday weekend. and they were oh. like, Hey, do you want to come on the show Monday? And I was like, Yes. And then I hung up the phone. I was like, time to call everyone I know and beg them to give me stage time the next three days. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. So if you, you know, generally you're like, I'm doing Conan on Monday, they're like, yeah, just come do the set, do the set, do the set, that type yeah. of thing. And did you kill it? It was, it went better than I could have imagined. I was very nervous. I mean, I have a segment where I'm like interacting with an audience member, so you're not sure how it's going to go. And um, oh. I did. I always, like, always yeah. tricky. Always tricky. Especially you on a late show because they can't run it back. Right. And so right, right, I was right, very much right. like, well, if this doesn't, if this doesn't go well, it's <laughs> half of my set. And there's nothing I can do about it. It's not like it's one joke where I'm like, you see that? And they don't laugh. And I'm like, next. It's like, this is the whole thing is kind of centered around one bit. And if it's not going well, I just have to dig in. And I've seen people where it's not going well and they just dig in and you're just like, well, this is permanent. Wow. But it went Oh my gosh. So then what's, so, okay. So right after that, is that when you did your special? I had actually recorded the album a month before and um so and then i just was like well the album will come out soon nothing weird could happen in march to slow this down um and then what do you know something very weird happened in march and yeah. between obviously the pandemic and i'm pressing vinyl records and a a, a a record production factory exploded and they had half of all of this special lacquer in the world at it so it kind of slowed everything down shut up 
there were two factories that contain the, the whatever they need for pressing these records and one of them blew up and they were like well we need a backup plant so <gasps> oh just, my gosh know, something you wouldn't even think about but obviously it's a small industry but you know what it's it's all part of the story right like that's the only way that you can think about it is all part of the story wait now yeah. i have to i'm gonna like backtrack a little bit because i do ask this on off podcasts in life everything to my comedian friends and not just stand up like people who just are comedians and on shows and whatnot yeah. but how did you find therapy through all of this like what was not even what was the moment where you were like I need this but for me I was like I don't need a fucking therapist like I know my diagnosis and I'm like good to go and I know what makes me happy that wasn't the case like you do need a therapist (laughs) (laughs) I mean I've always I have a joke about how it's I avoided therapy for a long time or I wouldn't be honest in therapy for a long time which is true because I thought I I knew me better than anyone else Mm -hmm. and that's not the right way to approach it the the joke is like even though it's i I i'm not a professional i guess is the the root of the entire thing you know what i mean i'm just Mm -hmm. i can be confidently incorrect however long i want but it's at like the detriment of my own mental health totally Um, i i I, i've dipped in and out of therapy when i was in high school the first touch i had of it was a, a sort of like a forced counseling situation when a friend committed suicide and um it turned me off to it for a very long time because I've never in my life felt more like I was a box being checked off on someone's list. Um, Do you think that was just because of the circumstance at hand of, I think it's because it was an underqualified uh, counselor school counselor coming in and dealing with something where they had to check something off on a box. And I don't, the the longer my life has gone, the less I blame them um, for anything. They were thrown into a situation they were unprepared for. It's an underfunded, public school system right um that probably just had some statute to deal with you know what i mean accountability for something right yeah Um, and then i would kind of i kind of avoided it and because i was like well that i just hated that experience so much that i was like i have a hard time with any sort of self-help thing i still do if I see a book that's like, here's how you get happy, I'm just, I or, or something like that. And and I have a tough time. I'm like, well, someone just sat down and wrote this. So it's like, If it I don't makes know. you feel better, I, I can't relate to those at all. And I know that I should be more open-minded, especially because I do have guests that come on and do write these books of yeah, help I don't and know addiction I just, and everything. It's I, just hard for me to relate. I just have a hard time seeing past the fact that someone was just at their computer making it. And what do mm-hmm. they know? And that's unfair. Cause what do I know? It's just an unfair th- yeah. thing that I can't get out of my head is the, um, someone just kind of put this together and it all feels a little Tony Robbinsy to me, no matter what it is. Um, where even, but I when I write my book, you're going to totally love it and you're going to share it <laughs> and you're going to be like, Alessandra, help me through so many moments in my life. <laughs> I think what I need to do is start taking these books less literally and more metaphorically, sort of how I think like yeah. the Bible was intended to be taken yeah. metaphorically. And when it's taken literally, it's very destructive. Totally. Um, I, and, and now, what so if I, you wrote a book? I, any, I think this would be a, a great idea one for of you. These books, you, there's always the Conan wink, if that makes sense. Like Norm Macdonald yeah. wrote a book. It's not a self-help book, but he wrote God, like a fake. God, I love Norm Macdonald. He wrote like a f- sort of a fake autobiography where it's like yeah. stories and fake stories. And I just think 
I have such a hard time being genuine in any capacity at any moment, less so now than ever, but it's still a problem. Um, and I think it's because my comedian conversations, I can dip in and out of genuine and they can follow it. My girlfriend, she's like, let's talk about love languages and get to know each other because we're very new relationship that was thrust into living together. Um, Mm -hmm. and I'm, which is a blessing actually, because you really get to know the person. You do, but I think at a pace that is still frustrating to her, um, because I just have, uh, I just have a hard time being completely genuine ever. Mm-hmm. It is a big mm-hmm. problem with me. I have a, I have a hard time. Uh, my brain just is creates a different like reality that it lives in sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I have had like. Do some, you think it's like yeah. you're masking your emotions like with? like comedy kind of a thing with with comedy and with like even it's just like a life like in my life like with a complete denial and with just Mm -hmm. like a if i i kind of just bottle everything internally i don't really let like there was no one's let in and so the comedy is a good mask for that sort of thing you know what i mean if you're kind of funny all the time no one's worried um and no one really wants to know anything and i've just kind of done that forever i mean i have like it's like been at the detriment of every relationship I've been in until this one where I'm finally like in an honest enough state to admit it. It's been at the detriment of friend relationships, emotional, intimate relationships, girlfriends, everything. It's like destroyed all of it. Mm-hmm. And um, not like not being funny has destroyed all, but like just a complete I, inability I, to like acknowledge to be in reality. Yeah. To be in reality. Really. It's and just it's, to be in reality. I just would kind of, I mean, I would like just sort of float away in relationships emotionally because I would yeah. just, I, I get very depressive and I get very, like very, very depressive, but it doesn't always necessarily manifest itself in I'm under the covers sad, but maybe it manifests itself and now I'm completely emotionally withholding because mm-hmm. I'm just uh in like reclusing in on myself like a black hole and, but I'm good enough at like bebopping around and living my day to day because like I'm really good at faking it, and Same. I don't know. And so I, I it, it's been it's 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 been a fairly negative influence on my life. And my most recent therapist is the first one that I've had uh, approached with the concept of saying I've been doing this wrong forever instead of just like. Mm-hmm. Anytime else I've approached the idea, it's just been like going is enough and going's not enough. Do you know what I mean? It should be maybe yep. the minimum. Um, yep. And so now I'm finally like, well, why going instead of just I've checked the box off. So I've I've succeeded this week or something like totally. that. totally, totally. Um, and I think that I, I don't know for you, but for me, when I was younger, I would create stories and I would be, I was a great liar and I would create stories just to cover up like frustrations. And I would make people laugh because it was like a hit like you, like once I figured out that making someone laugh, um, made them like me and made them forget the other things that were wrong with me. It, it like kind of just, kind of just worked you know oh yeah but yeah, I, I think mean, it's, with it's like the best, biggest <laughs> bandage ever 
oh my God, the biggest bandage. And then I would totally lie to every therapist I would go to. And I would create all these lies and lie about this person and that person. And they'd be like, oh, well, we don't really think that you should be here. And it's like, well, maybe that's why no one diagnosed me as bipolar because I was really good at fucking hiding everything. Yeah, and, I, you know, I, yeah. What, I, I just had to admit to myself, what, why? Like, why am I doing this? Because I would do the exact same thing. I would have like, I had been like on medication. It has sort of like a, 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 a like a, a manic lapse, I call it, that that could have had some uh, bad circumstances, bad fallout from it. And then you have to go see someone. And then I just was good at talking my way out of the seriousness of a situation. Totally. Lying is the word. Um, but yeah. even see now, I'm like, what's the phrase I can use so I don't have to be as harsh on myself? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and and forever and ever and ever, I would do that. I mean, I, I I was a couple years ago, like, so depressive that I was suicidal and having, like, these very serious thoughts about it, not just sort of, like, entertaining the idea, but just, like, here's the ways it could happen. Here's what I would have to do. So my family wouldn't feel as bad. Here's like these things that would have to happen. And the girl I was seeing at the time, her brother had committed suicide. And so she had very, very, uh, um, sensitive. P- yeah. PTSD from it. Yeah, all. yeah. So, yeah. so even approaching the thought of feeling that towards her would set it off. We couldn't watch a TV show if it came up or something. And I, I understand where she was coming from, but it made me feel even more cornered and more cornered. And it, it's it right. w- like blew up that entire relationship. I did. I blew that up that, that entire thing because I, I, I felt like weirdly isolated in the entire thing. Um, Look, I'm like someone that's like super juju-y and like no one else is really, I don't push this on anyone and I'm not like everything's meant to be is meant to be. But, you know, I feel like if I didn't go through all of this shit that I did and I wasn't open, I would hide that I was bipolar. I never talked about it on set. I never talked about it to people. I did it out of an insecurity because a um, fans didn't want me at a convention and didn't want a picture with me. And I didn't know how to relate. And so I said that I was bipolar and really awkward. Um, and people opened up. And I had more people come up to me and talk to me and write in and all this stuff of sharing their stories. Now, if I didn't go through all those moments, if I didn't hide myself through trying to make people laugh and making light of every situation that I was in, I wouldn't be here now. You know what I mean? And I wouldn't be here having this conversation and I wouldn't be able to relate to people such as yourself. So I think that what you're doing is being honest. And I think the best thing about comedy and the best comedians that are out there are the ones that are the most honest. So I think that you needed to go through this, whether you believe this or not, I think you did to make yourself fucking funnier. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I think you're onto <laughs> something. I do think you're onto something. I look, um, you don't have to believe it. I'm not trying to get you to believe it, but I'm just saying I talk to a lot of people who are really fucking funny, and the ones that really are the true artists are the ones that are truthful with themselves and truthful with the audience. Yeah, I think I've just always had a fear of like complete honesty because then you're like, well, it's just going to push everybody away, and then it does, and then I'm just like, well time will still pass and I'll still figure this out and at least feel like I'm in a better place from it all. Um, and the ones who, you know, don't get pushed away are the real ones, I guess. Uh, it's better to have small numbers than big numbers. Honestly. I mean, I know I sound like all juju and like inside I'm like, I want to fucking die. Like I'm ready to like hit my head against the wall right now, but I'm like trying to be a little optimistic in this conversation because I, I'm hard on myself and I'm my worst critic 
ever, but I see things in people that they don't see in themselves. And I think that we all need that reassurance and we all need to hear it. And we all need to hear that we all love each other because you don't know what's going to happen in life. And I'm just letting you know from the experience that I've had and the people that I've talked to in this mental health space, comedy is the only thing that gets them through life and truthful comedy, not bullshit. So take that with a grain of salt and take that yeah, with you. I will. That's my will. like word of advice it. for you. Yeah. I, I got to, you know. That's yeah. all. You know, that's all. Okay. I'm going to, two things. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about your special. How can okay. everyone find it? Yeah. What is the like, what is the best part of it? Like, what should we all look forward to? Like, mm-hmm. just brag about yourself for a bit. Okay. It's fucking uh, funny and I want to hear it. Yeah, it was called happiness, uh, purely so I could <laughs> tell people that you could buy happiness, um, and you can. You can. It's it's can. kind of streaming wherever you stream stuff: Spotify, Pandora, Apple Music, or whatever it's called now. All all the places that you look for like music and and comedy and stuff. It's called happiness, and you can get it there. It was recorded uh, pre-pandemic, but outside with a crowded backyard of people in Echo Park, Los Angeles. So I have to deal with the Saturday night outside foot traffic of Los Angeles uh, in Echo Park. And so someone skateboards through the comedy special. Amazing. Like uh, a, a literal cricket lands. That's how, so, I mean, it's, it's like the joke that you would do about bombing. You can actually hear a cricket at some point. <laughs> um, you know, there's bell Please towers, tell me you acknowledge it. Oh, all do of you the acknowledge- stuff. I do. Oh, what I really fantastic. wanted to capture was like, what happens if you see me when I'm on at a show, I didn't sometimes specials and albums feel very much like da, 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 da. hello. Here's yeah. joke one. Here's joke two. I yeah. wanted to very much have it feel like here's what it's like seeing a comedian when they're in their best role they've ever been in doing it, doing what they like to do. And what I love about standup is that we're all collectively doing this thing that we can only see then. And that's why I tried to capture. So there's a lot of like, uh, and then it ends with what is a, a, a 20 minute story about me almost getting murdered off of Craigslist. And Oh, um, now see, that is the so, hook right there. Yeah. So it involves, uh, uh I love true me crime. Potentially having so sex with the basket and, uh, almost getting <laughs> murdered off of Craigslist. So the closer is a do- basically the album is divided. If you look at it as a record, one side is all of the jokes and one side is purely this story. That's how long it is. So, so but, the yeah. closer is how you got your girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> well, the bad, yeah. I don't want to spoil anything, but uh, it, it, you know, a, a meat cute is a meat cute. Um, there's Bumble, there's Tinder, and there's Craigslist. Oh my gosh, Kyle, what is your emotional support? Um, that came very aggressive. I didn't mean that in an no, aggressive. No, that's okay. Way. Uh, um, um. You know, it's going to sound crazy, but it, it, a lot of it is the few people who are still in my life day to day, whether it's my girlfriend or my sister and brother. But, you know, that's we don't not really crazy at all. Yeah. No, it's not crazy. And it feels <laughs> nice when people tell you something you this is, I guess, un, when people are like, I liked your album or I like this thing you made. I don't think they understand how much that gets you through like the next two or three days. Uh, I get it. I totally get it. It will get you through longer than two to three days, actually, just because there's a lot of fucking haters. But it takes one story and one person to say they like you and that ego goes back up and you feel great and you want to keep doing it again. I remember in high school, a girl told me she liked 
some pants I wore, and I probably wore them eighty five percent of the days for until they <laughs> wore out. And I don't even think I don't remember who she was, or you know what I mean. It could have been in passing, but yeah. But here you go, and you remember that. Well, Kyle, I'm so excited. Everyone, please go check out Happiness. It will make you happy. It'll make you laugh, and it's going to get you through all this this sadness that we got going on with our life. Thanks, Kyle. Thank you. Emotion. Support.